Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Tuesday, September 6th. The day after Labor Day, here we are, is generally seen as the real beginning of the fall campaigning season. So we will come out of the gate right now by seeing where the starting line seems to be on the swing district map nationally in the race for control of Congress. Just to set this up with a tiny bit of audio, you know, they say all politics is local, that cliche. But these days, both parties try to make a lot of local politics national. That's why both Biden and Trump gave campaign-style speeches in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania in the last week. Biden said many things, including this. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Trump said many things, including this, about Biden. He's an enemy of the state. You want to know the truth? The enemy of the state is him and the group that control him. Biden and Trump in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, as Pennsylvania is a big swing state this year for House and Senate and governor. A New York Times article over the weekend carried the headline, Pennsylvania stakes its claim as the center of the political universe. And it goes on to say how both abortion rights and, yes, free and fair elections themselves, we love democracy, are on the ballot, and how in... 2020, the Philadelphia suburbs roundly rejected Trump, while white working class Pennsylvanians gravitated toward him. With us now, Stephen Shepard, Senior Campaigns and Elections Editor and Chief Polling Analyst for Politico. Hi, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Happy post-Labor Day, and welcome back to WNYC. Thank you, Brian. Good to talk to you. So Biden and Trump both held rallies in Pennsylvania the last few days. Why Pennsylvania? Well, you mentioned it. There are hyper competitive elections for Senate and statewide elections for Senate and governor this year. Pennsylvania's uh, Republican Senator Pat Toomey is retiring, uh, which opens up his Senate seat. The Senate is divided 50-50. If uh, Democrats can flip that seat, it means Republicans would need to oust at least two Democratic senators in order to win control of the chamber. Really would offer Democrats a little bit of cushion, which obviously they have none if the Senate is divided evenly. And the governor's race. Uh, the Democratic governor, Tom Wolf is term limited, and there's an open race to replace him as governor. Pennsylvania's governor is a pretty powerful one. He will, the next governor, whether it is Democrat Josh Shapiro or Republican Doug Mastriano, will appoint the person who will oversee the next presidential election in Pennsylvania. Uh, and then there are a handful of competitive congressional districts, including one open seat in western Pennsylvania, uh, where the two presidential candidates essentially tied on the ballot uh, in 2020, um, one that will be a real good test of uh, which party uh, has the support of the public in uh, President Biden's first midterm election. So Pennsylvania does does really have it all this cycle. And uh, I think that's why you saw both of the party's respective leaders campaigning there in the run up to Labor Day. And about Pennsylvania, I see you retweeted an article from a political colleague summed up as Dr. Oz is making headway with the GOP base. And many Republicans at Trump's rally in Pennsylvania said they're committed to voting for him, even if they have to hold their noses. 
but he's still struggling with an enthusiasm gap and even far-right disinformation. Can you explain that last part of that? If Dr. Oz is the Republican candidate and backed by Trump, and Oz did get an appearance at that Trump rally, or Trump dominated the Oz rally, uh, whichever way you want to look at it, (laughs) who on the far right is putting out disinformation about Oz and why? Well, if you recall that that primary that Mehmet Oz won uh, over David McCormick in back in May, uh, it, the margin between the top two candidates was fewer than 1,000 votes. So it was a, the two candidates essentially were ran even in that primary. Uh, both got uh, under 40 percent of the vote. So you you had roughly two and three Pennsylvania Republicans support a candidate for Senate other than Mehmet Oz. Mehmet Oz would be the first Muslim senator uh, if he's elected uh, this fall. And, you know, I think there is a lot of he is obviously someone who has uh, his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Um, someone who has spent time uh, working on uh, childhood nutrition campaigns with Michelle Obama. Uh, All these things that I'm mentioning are are the sort of things that might earn you some distrust among uh, the right wing uh, Republican electorate. Uh, and that segment of the Republican electorate. And indeed, I think that that was borne out during the primary. You know, in some of the polling before the primary, Republican voters were essentially even when asked about their image rating, uh, when asked about whether they have a favorable or unfavorable impression of Mehmet Oz, uh, it was roughly 50-50. And that is not a good place for a candidate to come out of a primary when you want to, before you can even start to try to uh, campaign to swing voters and grab the center of the electorate, you need to make sure you have your base with you. And that has been a struggle for Mehmet Oz uh, coming out of that fractious Republican primary and something he's obviously still figuring out uh, as we sit here nine weeks until election day. Um, it's, it's a prerequisite uh, for him to have any chance of beating John Fetterman, whom he trails in the polls uh, by some margin. Uh, but it's in it, but it is not uh, sufficient in and of itself. So he needs to lock that down and then look to the center of the electorate. And you, you don't want to be sort of still courting your base with nine weeks to go. But he needs those voters, especially voters who are enthusiastic, not just about Donald Trump, but about Doug Mastriano, the gubernatorial nominee. He needs them to all come out, not skip the Senate race on their ballot, uh, be motivated, vote for him and then work toward getting some of the swing voters that he's going to need to beat Fetterman. Interesting. Nine weeks from today, Election Day, November 8th, I think is the day, right? So that's the latest that Election Day could be because it's the first first Tuesday after the first Monday. So it cannot be later than November 8th. This will be the longest campaign possible, of course, for for, uh, all of us. And while most of us feel we've already been through the primary season and now it's just the general election season, it is still primary season in the Senate race in New Hampshire. Looks like you're following a race between a more mainstream Republican there and a more MAGA Republican and how the Democrats are trying to help the MAGA Republican win that primary. Do I have that right? So you do. Um, They are the... Democratic, top Democratic super PAC, Senate majority PAC. This is sort of the the super PAC with very close ties to Chuck Schumer, the Senate majority leader. Uh, It is really the manifestation of the Democratic Party in Senate races. They began running ads last week attacking the moderate candidate, Chuck Morse, uh, who has the support of 
has the tacit support, I should say, of uh, Mitch McConnell and his political operation. A group sprung up last week to support um, to support Chuck Morse in this primary and spend a lot of money on television ads. And we will find out after the primary, in all likelihood, that it was funded by Mitch McConnell's top super PAC. They, that won't be disclosed until later, though. Um, they started attacking Morse. Now, if you ask Democrats, they will say, well, we don't want to see Don Bolduc, the more... Uh, the, the farther right candidate win that primary necessarily. Uh, we're attacking Chuck Morse because if he wins the primary, he is uh, a threat to Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan's chances of reelection. However, if you listen to the ad, you see that the sort of things they're attacking Morse on might also be uh, make it more difficult for him to win a Republican primary. So I don't think that they would be disappointed necessarily mm. yeah. if Chuck Morse uh, so, lost that so, primary next Tuesday. Uh, so it's Maggie sort of a candidate. twofer for them. Um, this is a, you know, yet another uh, race where they'd prefer to face uh, the candidate they see as weaker in the general election, even if that candidate's positions and views, especially on, you you talk a lot about democracy and the 2020 right. election at the start of your show, especially on those issues, is just more extreme more extreme and more dangerous as far as Democrats are concerned if that person gets in. But this strategy has been going on in a number of states from Democrats this year, helping to support far-right Republican primary candidates, even though the Dems consider the MAGA Republicans a threat to democracy itself, because they think their Democratic candidates will do better against MAGA Republicans in the fall than against mainstream ones. That strategy has gotten some press and some criticism this summer. How widespread can you tell it has been? And does your polling analysis, since you're a polling analyst, um, or any other reporting, tell you that that strategy is likely to succeed at giving the Dems more seats in the House and the Senate? I think on balance, it, it would be more likely to succeed in that regard. Uh, for example, in Michigan's third congressional district, uh, Democrats helped to boost uh, a challenger to a sitting congressman, Congressman Peter Meyer from Grand Rapids, Michigan, who voted to impeach then President Donald Trump a week after the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Uh, they helped to boost his um, Republican primary challenger, John mm. Gibbs. Uh, a man who had far less money in his campaign, far, you know, not an established campaign uh, in a seat that Joe Biden carried by nine points. They view Gibbs as much easier to beat. And indeed, I, I think, you know, you'd have to consider the Democrat, the Democrat there, Hillary Sculpton, the favorite over John Gibbs, whereas I think Peter Meyer would have been the favorite over uh, uh, Hillary Sculpton, the Democratic nominee, had he won that primary. And Democrats argument is that every vote for Kevin McCarthy for speaker and for Republican leadership is damaging to democracy in some way. And we, we, you could debate the, uh, the, the mm -hmm. validity of that statement, but that is their position. And so every Democratic vote for speaker, whether that's for Nancy Pelosi or someone else on January 3rd of next year, is uh, a vote that they see as, as preserving democracy. And again, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, here to I cast know that's their political that strategy and their view, even though that leads them to support some MAGA candidates uh, who might be more explicitly anti-democracy um, for the Republican nominations. Let's take a Pennsylvania call from somebody looking west from Manhattanville. Elliot, you're on WNYC. Hello. Let me turn off my radio. Hold on. I'm sorry. Alexa, mute. 
<laughs> now, how many people in the audience just had something go silent because you said that out loud? I'm just kidding. Go it ahead. Has, absolutely. It, it happens if, if I, I happen to uh, get a call from someone named Alexa or Alexis, then whatever the next thing I say is, that thing will respond, usually with a joke. Though, so That's like, right. In fact, I was um, watching a Yankee game this weekend, and the outfielder on the other team was named Siri. And so you can imagine, <laughs> you know, and they were joking about it. Uh, so anyway, go ahead. Um, so I have, uh, I could talk about any any of a uh, number of topics, Pennsylvania, Senate, um, House, um, well, you told us, Greeno, uh, you wanted to talk about something about the Doug Mastriano Republican, MAGA Republican yeah. for governor campaign in Pennsylvania. Yeah, but if you want, afterwards, I can yeah, talk about the House, too. Yeah, Doug Mastriano is um, at the top of the ballot in Pennsylvania. Um, and he's a MAGA Republican, but that's really besides the point. Doug Mastriano is a smart guy. He was in the military. He taught at the Army War College, which is in Pennsylvania. But he, for a faculty photo in 2013 or 14, he wore a Confederate uniform. Uh, the faculty were told, if you want to wear a historical outfit, you know, go ahead. Mm. And, you know, mm -hmm. he chose, he was the only one who chose a Confederate uniform. Most people didn't mm. wear uniforms. Mm -hmm. um, and then he does a MAGA thing, and then he was at January 6th. He was at the That's Capitol. Right. Correct. And he's refused to appear before the committee um, in the House. And I mean, this this is really just the basics. Like you said, it's just been Labor Day, so now we're headed into the campaign. Those are just the basics. John Fetterman has a ton of money, and Mehmet Oz has spent a ton of money. Um, uh, Josh Shapiro running against Doug Mastriano has been the attorney general, and of course we all like our state attorney generals. The The enthusiasm and the turnout in Pennsylvania is going to be exactly the opposite of what it was in 2016. Um, it's, I don't know why Mehmet Oz is really even putting in the effort. At this point, he might as well go to other states and campaign for other people who have a chance. Elliot, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for your call. Anything you want to comment on, on there uh, from that call? Steve, I, I, I did notice, relevant to one thing that he said, that you retweeted an article uh, about how a record cash haul vanished for Senate Republicans. That's a New York Times article. Maybe relevant to his statement that um, Fetterman, the Democratic candidate for Senate, has so much money and Mehmet Oz doesn't. Yes, and, and I would commend that article. I was in Sunday's New York Times uh, by Shane Goldmacher, uh, that describes some of the cash flows at the National Republican Senatorial Committee, the uh, official committee charged with helping Republicans win back the House under under Chairman Rick Scott, the senator from Florida. Uh, a very interesting tale about how Repub Senate Republicans tried to build a fun an online fundraising juggernaut that really didn't and, and poured a lot of money into it, and it hasn't panned out for them. Uh, Memonas spent $13 million of his own money. He's very wealthy. 
uh, trying to win that primary. And then as far as we, and he'll be required to disclose his fundraising again in the middle of uh, not until the middle of October. Uh, but as far as we can tell, uh, turned off the cash spigot and, and hoped that national Republicans, both individual donors to his campaign and also the NRSC and Senate leadership fund, the top super PAC, would kind of fill in the gap and carry him over the finish line. Uh, whereas John Fetterman had a more sustainable outside fundraising operation. And I think that that explains why uh, up until a week or so ago, when that super Republican super PAC went in big in Pennsylvania, Mehmet Oz was really getting killed on the airwaves. Uh, he was getting outspent uh, by Fetterman and Democrats who were running a lot of ads, both both uh, Fetterman uh, positive ads and also negative ads against Mehmet Oz. Uh, and that's a big reason why Mehmet Oz has fallen behind in that race. It's the same dynamic in, in the governor's race there in Pennsylvania. Josh Shapiro has spent years building up his uh, bank account for this race. And Doug Mastriano is a candidate who doesn't really raise a lot of money, isn't running television ads. He's doing something very unconventional, just trying to build uh, uh support from the far-right Republican base and that grassroots and hoping that that carries him uh, in a way that a traditional television campaign is really not an option for him. So so different schools of thought here, but, but one sort of consistent theme, Republicans until recently getting badly outspent in both of those top tier, uh, top, top of the ticket uh, Pennsylvania statewide races. And the Mastriano race, um, versus Shapiro is is so important nationally for people who haven't focused on it. And we're doing a number of sec separate segments uh, just on this dynamic around the country. But because the Republican Mastriano, who, as the caller reminded us, was at the Capitol on January 6th, part of that rally, he's explicitly running on making it easier for a governor or the state legislature to cancel the election results that are otherwise certified, correct? He has talked about how uh, the state's elected officials should have the ability to intervene to reverse results of uh, a presidential election. And obviously, Pennsylvania, uh, with its 19 electoral votes in the, in the 2024 presidential race, will be extremely important. And, I, you know, I think um, it will... In, in Pennsylvania, unlike some other states where the chief elections official, usually the secretary of state, is elected, that official is appointed by the governor in Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania also has a Republican legislature uh, and currently a Democratic governor who are often at odds. <laughs> uh, if Doug Mastriano wins the governorship, it's very likely that Pennsylvania will have unified Republican government. And, you know, that is uh, certainly the legislature could pass laws that would that Doug Mastriano would sign that the current Democratic governor, Tom Wolf, would veto and, and that the uh, Josh Shapiro, if he were elected governor, would veto. Uh, they could pass laws that would uh, potentially make it easier for them to reverse the results of the presidential election. Doug Mastriano could also appoint someone to oversee the election who would interpret the laws and run the election in a way that would boost the Republican candidate in 2024 mm -hmm. over the Democratic candidate instead of running a, a, a fairer election. So, you know, I think uh, there's certainly a lot at stake just in that one race. Uh, and as you mentioned before, with Democrats' primary strategy, it's notable that Josh Shapiro ran ads before 
the Pennsylvania governor primary that uh, were seen as boosting Doug Mastriano's chances of winning that Republican primary, all mm -hmm. in the thought that Doug Mastriano would be a weaker general election candidate uh, as opposed to a more mainstream Republican. So uh, just something to keep in mind yeah. as we get closer to Election Day, especially if the polls stay close between Shapiro and Mastriano. Or Democrats taking that risk. We've been talking about House and Senate races in this segment, but I just am too curious not to get your take as a polling analyst on this one gubernatorial race in New York. Two recent polls so different. A Trafalgar poll just out found Republican Lee Zeldin trailing Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul by just four points. Just a week earlier, a poll by Survey USA for an Albany television station found Hochul leading by 24 points. Both things can't be true. What do you make of them? I would just say that uh, the Trafalgar group whom you referenced uh, is a polling organization that really popped up, especially in the run up to the 2020 election, with this sort of operating theory that the polls have in recent elections uh, systematically underestimated Republicans. And so that we're going to make some adjustment to boost Republicans in our numbers so that because we think that will end up closer to the truth. It works in some cases. It doesn't work in other cases. It was true in the 2016 um, presidential election, right? It was. It was. Um, it was true in 2016. And certainly they, they went into 2020 with that theory. Um, I would say that the balance of polling, not just the Survey USA polling, but the balance of polling looks more like a larger local advantage. You're not seeing national Republicans get involved in the New York governor's race. New York is an expensive state, obviously, to advertise in. Um, but you're not seeing uh, national Republicans get involved in the New York governor's race because they think they have a chance to win. So uh, the, the rest of the polling looks a lot more like the Survey USA polling. Typically, when a poll looks like an outlier, it's because it typically is. Uh, I would say wait for more data before starting to believe mm -hmm. that the race between uh, Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin is that close. Stephen Shepard, senior campaigns and elections editor and chief polling analyst for Politico. Thanks for starting us on the road to the general election 2022. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.